Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, before I begin, I do want to uh, remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast called wealthformula.com. And that is where you can get all sorts of resources. You can sign up for all sorts of lists. You can join the Accredited Investor Club, the Wealth Formula Investor Club, which if you're interested in investing in some private stuff, join up, get onboarded. You do need to be an accredited investor. Uh, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you have to apply for something or something like that. You just either are or are not an accredited investor, sort of like being pregnant or not pregnant. It's a verification of that you make either $200,000 per year or $300,000 per year if you're filing jointly for at least two years with the reasonable expectation of continuing to do so, or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence, which means if you live in California and you just happen to have a lot of equity in your house, well, that doesn't count. So if that sounds like you and you're interested in investing in some of the stuff that we look at in our group, make sure to go to Investor Club and sign up and there will be an onboarding process there for you. Uh, with that being said, let's talk about a very interesting topic. And I got to tell you, when I uh, sometimes, you know, you might be wondering how to get people to interview and all that kind of stuff. Well, sometimes it's me going out there and finding people. And sometimes it is people finding me or, you know, companies trying to hook up podcasters with good interviews. And this one was Interesting because it hadn't occurred to me. Gosh, prenups, prenuptial agreements, postnuptial agreements, this kind of stuff. This is seriously important when it comes to personal finance. I mean, getting married is incredible commitment financially, and getting divorced is perhaps a bigger commitment financially, and probably the biggest effect you know you you may have on your personal finances in, in in the future. It's something that I've never talked about and really, frankly, not something I knew very much about. No one getting married thinks that they're ever going to get divorced. I can tell you that from personal experience. I you know I've uh, been divorced for a few years now. But yet over half of American marriages end up in divorce. And I have to tell you, I'm very, very lucky that I had an amicable breakup. And so is my ex-wife, by the way. Most of the divorces I've seen in the past few years have been quite ugly. You know, my ex-wife and I get along just fine. And uh, she's actually smart. She's very smart for having not gone the other way. And um, 
I know she doesn't really listen to our podcast, but you know, she had like friends who were attorneys trying to push her into getting ugly and she refused to do so. And that is a very smart thing. And I'll, and I'll get to why that is in a second, but I'll tell you, I have two friends you know, that I know and actually you know, fairly high profile people that you may even know because uh, you know, they're, they're in the investment space, but getting through divorces in the past few years and in both situations, the men um, originally offered what they thought were very fair settlements that their wives just rejected. And in both cases, the divorces lasted for years, costing hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, a million dollars. And in both cases, the wives ended up, you know, getting less uh, than they had originally been offered by, you know, the husband. So Listen, it wasn't just the ex-wives who lost out in that situation because no one wins in an ugly divorce, right? The kids suffer. There's a huge emotional and financial toll to pay for both sides. And the only winner is the divorce attorney, right? And that's what I was going to say. That's why I said my ex-wife was smart. She didn't want to do that, even though she had attorney friends who were trying to get her to be ugly. Anyway, knowing this You've probably got stories. Everybody's got stories, ugly divorces. It should be enough to convince anyone to have a prenup in place before getting married or even potentially getting a postnup in place after the fact. Now, gosh, that sounds even trickier because listen, I know it is not that easy. How do you, I mean, how do you even bring up a prenuptial agreement when you know you're in love with somebody and you know, everything's all wonderful and planning a life together and you're going to live happily ever after. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have to throw in the, well, yeah, um, you know, what if things don't work out? Then what? I mean, it's not very romantic. And I, I think that's uh, that, <laughs> that's something that people just going to have to figure out. I have to tell you, uh, at least in my case, uh, I'm not even close to that. I don't, I'm not even with anybody right now. So I don't have to worry about it, but it is an interesting, very, very interesting idea that, and, and I was actually kind of surprised myself that I hadn't even occurred to me to have this topic on a personal finance podcast, but that's what I'm doing. Uh, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast today, he specializes in this area. You know, he has a ton of experience at sort of the highest level of uh, prenuptial complexity. So we say with celebrities, athletes, ultra high net worth individuals, whoever it is, though, I mean, the issues are kind of the same. There's emotional and there's financial. And he has great perspective on how to approach all of these uh, sensitive issues. So whether you're married, uh, divorced or just curious, make sure to tune in to this interview. It's uh, I found it really fascinating and interesting and and who knows, maybe I'll actually have to put it to work someday myself again. Uh, but you'll have that interview right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Aaron Thomas. He's a family law attorney and the founder of 
prenups.com. He is a three-time winner of Atlanta's Best Divorce Attorney, a graduate of the Harvard Law School in 2002, and has been recognized as appears as one of the fastest-growing family law firms in the state of Georgia. He's also, as I mentioned, the founder of prenups.com. Aaron, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks for having me, Buck. Glad to be here. So, you know, I was just commenting to you before we started about how it occurred to me that, wow, how did I not cover this topic on a personal finance show, right? Um, pretty remarkable. But uh, maybe a little bit about you. Um, how, how did you uh, end up kind of specializing in the space? It sounds like you, you, know, you, you do a lot of work for some very high-profile uh, individuals uh, in this space. Uh, how did this become your specialty? Yeah, yeah. I kind of stumbled into family law. Um, you know, divorce lawyer is not something a lot of kids say, that's what I want to do <laughs> when I grow up. Um, but yeah. uh, there was a family law firm in the area, uh, like you said, representing some high profile individuals, and they needed an attorney with experience in the courtroom. I had it. And, you know, the rest of it hey, was history. Um, I started practicing family law and didn't really have a lot of experience myself. I hadn't been married at the time. Uh, my parents just celebrated 57 years of marriage together. So uh, most of our friends hadn't been divorced. I didn't really know what it entailed. And I very quickly realized that marriage is probably the most important financial agreement, the most important financial contract that many people enter into in their entire lives. And uh no one's really read the fine print. <laughs> yeah, I think the challenge with this, um, and and you know, I I'm actually divorced, and um, unfortunately, my we, I didn't have a prenup, but it was during surgical residency. I didn't have any money at the time, and didn't even occur to me. Uh, fortunately, in my situation, it was like a very uh, very easy parting, and we just decided, uh, you know, how we were going to do it. It usually doesn't seem to work that way. Most of the people I know who've been divorced, it just gets so ugly, and so. One of the things that, you know, that comes to mind to me now, if I have to do, if, if I'm to do it again, and I'm, you know, not in any situation to even really, you know, uh, think about that right now necessarily, but if the time comes where I'm, I'm about to get married again or something like that, I think the thing that would be hard for me is to even figure out how do you even approach that topic without sounding like an asshole, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's, yes. so, so, so you probably get that question a lot. I'm curious on, on what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, let's, let's be clear. Prenups have not the greatest reputation in the world. Um, you know, you can't even talk about the topic without talking about how much stigma there is surrounding prenups. I thought the same thing, you know, honestly, before I got into the area that prenups are just, you're just planning for divorce. You're, you know, you're, you're planning to split up before your relationship even really gets started. Um, I think a better way to look at it is like a, a partnership agreement for your for your marriage. Um, you know, if you were going into a business partnership, of course, you're going to put down on paper, you're going to have some serious conversations about each person's rights and responsibilities and who owns what. And, uh, you know, of course, any partnership agreement that's worth the paper is written on is going to have some kind of clause that talks about what happens if a partner leaves the business or, or walks away. But that's not the goal of the partnership agreement is, you know, for the breakup of it. And I think if all you're doing in your prenup is, is saying what happens in divorce, you're, you're missing a real opportunity. A good, solid prenup should talk about each spouse's rights and responsibilities 
during the marriage itself. You know, what is mine? What's yours? What's ours? And and go a little bit further than just kind of planning for, you know, the potential end of the relationship. And before we sort of dive into the nuts and bolts of this, like, I'm curious on the strength of the prenuptial agreement in the first place, because, you know, locally, I, I'm in Montecito here, and so we have a high profile divorce happening with Kevin Costner, and, and they had a prenup in place, and I'm sure he had fine attorneys uh, put that together, and sounds like he's kind of getting sued, and his uh, ex is going retrade, and can you comment on that? I mean, when you hear about something like that, you wonder what, well, if, if if they can just do that, then what's the point of doing this in the first place? Yeah, yeah, no, great question. Um, you know, prenups, that that is a common misconception is that they're not really enforceable, that, that you can just kind of go and relitigate the whole issue. Um, Kevin Costner's situation, I've been following it pretty closely, uh, as you might imagine. And in his situation, uh, so a prenup can only cover division of assets and debts and alimony. It cannot cover child custody and child support. So in his situation, he's actually got a rock solid enforceable prenup. I think what is being, you know, what got all hit the news about the litigation was that his wife was going for, you know, a a very large amount of child support. I think the final figure was something like 75 grand a month. But that's primarily because his net worth was apparently 400 million. And the prenup that they signed said that his wife only got one million, regardless of whether they were married for one year or for 20 years. And so, you know, at the end of a long marriage, kind of the only avenue that was left for her because the prenup was so solid was to go after as much child support as, as she could get to kind of maintain her standard of living. So her um, her thing was for just a, a million total or a million per year? She got a million total under million the terms total? Of, of the prenup. Oh, my God. With a 400 yeah. million. <laughs> so you can see why child support was litigated so heavily in that yeah case. i guarantee you he wasn't poor when he got married either and, and that's oh yeah that's yeah she remarkable. was there for a big increase in his net worth um so yeah 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 well yeah i mean he yeah you know and again i think when you look at a situation like that i mean you know again these are local people and, and they're like i'm sure his wife was not there for the money and she never thought it would get to that point. And so she thought of it as a technicality and well, gosh, you know, uh, then the next thing, you know, nobody thinks they're getting divorced and then half of the people in the country are getting divorced. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, right. Right. So let's dive into this a little bit more. You say that a well-written prenup can help you and your spouse uh, reduce arguments during your marriage as well, not only in divorce. Why is that? Yeah, uh, I think it goes back to the idea of trying to address as many of the money issues that are going to crop up over the course of your marriage at the beginning of your marriage. You know, during my legal career, I probably participated in about a thousand uh, divorce cases. And what I saw during that time is the same kinds of issues would come up over and over arguments about spending, arguments over access to money. Um, you know, one spouse having a high income and living essentially in a different socioeconomic bracket than their spouse who doesn't have access to to income. Um, and so what I realized is a lot of the money arguments that would come up in a divorce case weren't things that just cropped up during the divorce. They were arguments that have been taking place in these marriages from the moment that these couples got married. Um, and so, you know, people would come to my office and say, 
you know, what do you mean she gets half of my retirement? What do you mean he gets half of the house that I paid for over the course of the marriage? And that to me showed that there was um, a lack of alignment in terms of, you know, how did they structure their finances? Did did all of their money go to, into one bank account and they both have access to that money equally? Or do they kind of keep separate accounts? Who pays for what? And so addressing a lot of those questions on the front end in your prenup is, um, I think, an underrated way to uh, try to address financial issues that could crop up in your marriage. What's the one paycheck rule? Yeah, um, the one paycheck rule is, you know, a lot of people kind of have the general sense that what I bring into the marriage, I keep no matter what happens. And whatever we build together, that's our marital property that we split. But it's not that simple. The one paycheck rule is the rule that says once you get married, that first paycheck that you get, you may take some of that paycheck, you put a little bit of it in your checking, a little bit of it in your savings, a little bit goes in your 401k, you may pay down your mortgage and your car note, put some of that into a brokerage account. Every single thing that that first paycheck touches is now a commingled asset. A portion of it is considered your separate property, a portion of it is considered your marital property. So someone who says, but I had that piece of real estate before I got married. Uh -huh. uh, yes, you did. Yeah, but as soon paying. as money you earned during the marriage touches it, yeah. it is now a portion marital, a portion separate property. And if there ever comes a time where you've got to split that up, it's a whole mess. And you know, you're talking about hiring forensic accountants to separate out what's what. Oh, what a mess. Okay. In theory, how would you prevent that kind of commingling? I mean, you just separate accounts. Uh, I mean, it sounds pretty messy. Well, what most people what most people do and what any decent prenup is going to do is kind of split things up into, uh, I call them these three buckets, your mm -hmm. money buckets. You've got mine, you've got yours, and you've got ours. Um, and a lot of people will do what, what I call a title-based prenup. So if something is in my name, it belongs to me. If something's in your name, it belongs to you. And if we put in everything we put in joint names belongs to the two of the two of us. And what that does is it eliminates this accidental commingling of assets mm -hmm. that happens for most couples who don't have prenups. And you're able to say, okay, you know, this house that I, you know, own prior to the marriage, I'm going to pay for those. Uh, expenses with just my paycheck and it will remain 100% my and your retirement that you had before you met me, you're going to fund that with your paycheck and that will remain 100% yours. And then things that you put in joint names, our marital home, our joint bank account, um, you know, maybe some other assets, or maybe a rental property that you buy as a joint project together, those will be comprise the marital estate. But you don't have this uh, this kind of mess of everything has a marital component and everything has a separate component, and nobody really knows where they stand at any given time. Yeah, interesting. So when you talk about sort of you know once you get married, you have the combined. I don't know how you describe that. Uh, essentially, your estate is both of yours, not just an individual's at that point. So is is a prenup something that can potentially define that better? I mean, part of the issue is I think. The reality is that, you know, I look around and other guys were in my situation, right? Generally, who are uh, high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals who are, you know, maybe they'll get married again. And usually the person that a lot of the times is these people that I know who are dating are substantially less. It's not an equal partnership on the finance side. We're talking about, you know, somebody worth being 50 million and the other person literally, you know, kind of just. Uh, being a, you know, a six figure or less person 
so so in those situations, I mean, like, yeah, it sounds great to have these nice partnerships and define whose is what, but in reality, the financials is, it can be so asymmetric. And in those situations, how do you even start? Yeah, I, I think in those situations, it is all that much more important to define how much of the high earners money is going to go into this kind of joint bucket, into the hours bucket. Uh, so there's no confusion. Where where disaster strikes is when the high earner says, well, I built this empire. These are my finances. All of this belongs to me. And the lower earner says, I thought that this was 50-50. And so uh, what a lot of couples will do where there is such vast disparity of wealth is uh, kind of define a percentage or an amount of the high earner's income that is going to go into the joint account. Um, mm -hmm. Couples like that use what I call the outside-in plan for funding their joint account, where each spouse's income goes into their separate bank accounts, but then they both contribute to a joint bank account that pays for their joint expenses. Usually, can, those con contributions are going to be proportionate to their income. So if I make 90% of our joint money, I am going to pay for 90% of our joint expenses by, you know, for every $1,000 that you put in the joint account, I'm going to put $9,000 in the joint account. And that way, each spouse is contributing, you know, proportionally, they each kind of have a, a dog in the fight, they, you know, they've got their dollars in, um, according to what they can earn. And then those couples will keep you know, some of their money outside of the joint accounts, some of it inside the joint account. So if it ever comes time to split, there is going to be a transfer of money from the high earner to the low earner, but the high earner or the high net worth individual isn't putting every single dollar they have on the line into that joint accounts. And the low earner is still getting the benefit of being married to someone who is a high net worth individual. So um, sure. The word income keeps coming in, but obviously for a lot of high ultra high net worth or uh, individuals, that's a sort of poorly defined thing, right? A lot of it is you're kind of lumping it all in, right? With investment income and that kind of thing as well, I assume. A lot of strategy in the ultra high net worth space includes trust. You know, I can say in my case, and, and this actually started without any uh, thought about uh, marriage or prenups or anything at all, but at some point uh, started a, a dynasty trust. And I, I have essentially most of my wealth outside of my estate already. And it belongs to my kids and their in their trust through beneficiaries of my trust. So in situations like that, is the money in those types of trusts still fair game in a divorce? That is a very good question because um, uh, that is that's I know a one lot of the reasons why they're to this. A lot of right, people yeah, listening to I'll give you this. Yeah, so. the lawyer answer is it depends, right? right, um, right and right. and um, you know there are if you get in front of a judge who believes that trust and the assets within it are part of the marital estate, then everything is fair game. Um, certainly, almost every judge is going to at least allow discovery into those assets, meaning turning over uh, the financial records of those assets to see what's in there, mm. because those things can be considered at a minimum when dividing up what is outside of the trust. And uh, obviously, there is a huge financial incentive for the other spouse and that spouse's attorneys to try to kind of pierce into um, yeah. that trust and and get the largest settlement possible for their for their clients. So, 
you know, uh, again, to yeah. me, just another reason to try to define, yeah. you know, what is part of the marital estate and make sure everybody's on the same page there. Yeah. And actually, the flip side of it is I was thinking in some ways, that's a good way for a high net worth person to bring up the concept of the prenup in the first place, because honestly, the reality is, if there's a divorce, you're not going to probably get very much from me because I don't have anything. I don't own anything. So let's talk about this and be transparent about this up front. So, you know, that's that's kind of what my take on it is. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And, you know, someone who is marrying a right. high net worth individual needs a very good lawyer <laughs> negotiating on their side of the prenuptial agreement as well to make sure that, you know, they're not left you know, completely high and dry should the relationship come to an end. So, yeah. um, you know, protection can be had on both sides of this. Yeah. I mean, a good agreement is going to protect both parties and their interests sure. and, you know, sure. not have unintended consequences for either side. Okay, what's a post-nuptial agreement and um, why would you need one of those? I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, I guess it's it, is post-nuptial basically just doing a pre prenup after the fact is that that's all post-nuptial is? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Postnup is is a prenup that happens after the parties are already after the couple's already married. Um, a few different reasons that couples will enter into them. Uh, you know, first is they're kind of like the prenup too late. Somebody started the process too late. They don't finish it before you know before the wedding date, and they you know they sign a postnup shortly after. Um, there are some couples where there has been some event that has happened, whether it's you know infidelity um, or you know. Uh, the birth of a child even, or, you know, one spouse moves for the other spouse's job and no longer is able to work. And the couple wants to address that specific situation and write it into a postnuptial agreement. And then there are a lot of people that come for a postnuptial agreement who um, they realize they've been married a certain period of time and they for example, I've been living as though they kind of have separate financial lives. You know, I'm I'm saving for retirement. You are, you know, investing in, you know, riskier asset classes that I'm willing to invest in. And we've kind of, you know, are living in separate financial lives. And we just want to codify that so that, um, you know, we don't, you know, get in, a, in front of a judge one day and they lump everything that we have together. Sometimes people will do it for debt protection or uh, one spouse owns a, a business and wants to kind of, you know, separate and make sure that that's outside of the marital estate. So, yeah, there's a number of reasons why people will will go into postnuptial agreements. What I found is uh, my friends who've had divorces, like bad divorces without prenups, those things end up in a situation where uniformly, in my opinion, if they had just settled up front reasonably, the husband and the wife would have come out better. And Neither of them ends up coming out better. And the attorneys, I mean, no offense, but the attorneys really come out the big winners in those situations. I've talked to at least two or three guys who are pretty high net worth in this situation who felt like they gave some pretty reasonable, you know, settlement options early on. And then they were like, well, she didn't want it, though. And then when it all said and done, the, the woman on, that they were married to got less than they were offered in the first place. And then again, the guy loses out more, lost out more in those situations too, because he ended up paying a ton of money for the, the divorce, right? I mean, so that's that's one of the is, things that I think people got to understand. It's it's both both sides are stand to lose here if there's not a something in place. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such an overlooked piece of this whole equation. Uh, it is not unusual at all for 
married couples to spend 20 to 25% of their net worth on lawyers and accountants and litigation, and then end up, you know, to fight over who gets the other 75 or 80%. And like you said, no offense taken, the only people that went out here are the lawyers who um, their financial incentives are not aligned with their clients in a divorce. You know, the divorce system is not set up to help you know, divorcing couples reach a very quick and inexpensive settlement. If you think that you can get 60% of the assets, the more that there is, the more that the lawyers, you know, can can potentially make by how long the, litig the litigation plays out. So, you know, the, the expense of the divorce case itself is a huge factor. If, if the stigma didn't exist and many couples just said, hey, Here's what we consider to be the marital estate. And if anything ever happens, we're going to split these assets 50-50, and we're both going to go on our own ways. That would keep billions of dollars every year in the pockets of these divorcing couples and out of the pockets of the divorce lawyers who are litigating their cases. It's incredible. You know, we've been, I've been talking, I've been asking questions in from the perspective of ultra high net worth or high net worth individuals, but it's not just the rich that could potentially benefit. Right. I mean, you don't necessarily need to be rich to be to, to benefit from a prenup. Yeah, that's that is absolutely right. I think that is one of, you know, the most pernicious misconceptions about prenups is that they're only for the ultra wealthy. The average uh, kind of middle class or upper middle class couple that has, you know, anywhere from, you know, even as low as 100 grand net worth to 250 grand uh, to 500 grand net worth. They really can't afford lawyers billing by the hour for the course of a year, which is how long the average contested divorce case takes. You know, they don't have liquid of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to spit out every month or every few months uh, to pay lawyers fees. And those are some of the couples who who could use a prenup more than anyone else. You know, if you're a multi multimillionaire. You can at least afford to pay your lawyers no matter how long the litigation goes. Um, if you are, you know, making 100, 120 grand a year, those lawyer fees are going to add up really, really quickly. And the loss of all that money is going to have a huge impact on your standard of living after the case is over. And so it really is, you know, I think a lot of people also miss out on the fact that what makes a divorce case messy and expensive is not how much you have coming in. There are many, many couples who they get married in their late 20s and yeah. you know, they have very minimal assets at that time. But by the time they go through a divorce, 10, 15 years later, they've amassed some serious wealth. And the argument over how to treat those assets is what causes cases to spiral out of control in terms of the cost. And so it really benefits couples who may have a high uh, net worth trajectory in front of them. There are Henry's or high earners, not rich mm -hmm. yet. Those are the couples who may benefit the most from getting a prenup because they're going to amass assets between the time they get married and the potential demise of their marriage and uh, protecting against that money going to, you know, legal fees uh, and staying in their pocket is a huge benefit of getting a prenup. And uh, what are any special considerations on the lower earning spouse? Um, what, you know, what specific considerations should a lower earning spouse address when considering, you know, a prenup or a postnup then? Yeah, um, a good example may be uh, Kevin Costner's, you know, divorce that that you right. mentioned earlier. 
their prenup basically said that she got, you know, a million dollars, no matter how long the relationship lasted. And something better for her to have negotiated for on the front end would have been a percentage of the of all of the assets. That way, you know, maybe she's not going to, you know, no one would probably say it would be fair for her to get 50% of all the mm -hmm. assets that, you know, Kevin Costner built up over his long career. But if it were a percentage, then the more that Kevin's career um, grew over the years, the more that she would have gotten and the more she would have had the ability to maintain kind of a similar standard of living in her household that the kids are used to having in her husband's household. And so the other things to consider are, um, you know, what kinds of sacrifices is is she going to make? You know, or, uh, this is Kevin Costner's wife. Obviously, it could be, you know, either spouse. If we're talking about the lower earning spouse, what kind of sacrifices are you going to make by virtue of being married to this high net worth individual, you may not, you may forego kind of a working career altogether. You may move for the other person's job. You may be expected to play more of a homemaker role. And uh, if you've been out of the workforce for 20 years with no prospects of working, you want to make sure that you are going to be compensated well enough that if the relationship comes to an end, that you are not going to be left holding the bag um, and that your financial interests are protected. Um, both in the event of a divorce, but also during the marriage. So you can negotiate how much access you have to funds during the relationship itself. You know, one thing I've learned from my career is two people living in the same household, but in completely different socioeconomic brackets is a recipe for argument and resentment. So, you know, negotiating how much of the income the, that either spouse has is going to end up in that joint bucket that is, you know, uh, accessible by both spouses. Tell us about prenups.com. Who's it for? I mean, I'm I'm wondering if this is, you know, I mean, that probably depends on sort of the complexity of wealth and all that kind of stuff, right? If whether or not you can just simply do this uh, online. Yes. So prenups.com, we are a firm of lawyers. So we have lawyers in, in states all across the country. So you'll be working with someone who's experienced in family law, who uh, knows what they're doing and can customize an agreement that fits your situation. Most of the clients of prenups.com are fall into kind of that younger category. The Henrys, you know, the people who are on an upward trajectory have not built huge assets yet. And for those, prenups.com offers flat fee prenups for 3500 And then for your, you know, your businessmen, your, you know, people who are real estate investors, athletes, the entertainers, the other high net worth individuals, there's kind of the platinum package where we're going to work with your financial advisors and your estate planning attorneys and mm -hmm. the rest of your team to really customize uh, an agreement. And, and those are kind of on a, on a per case basis, depending on the complexity of the case up to and including, you know, um, getting attorneys to uh, protect your assets that may be outside the United States and making sure yeah. that the protection ex extends internationally as well. Is this something that is state specific? So if somebody uh, lives in California, they would want a California attorney to be dealing with, Is it, or is it something that you can do more broadly? It is state specific, which is why we've been bringing on attorneys in each right. state where yeah, we, yeah, yeah. yeah, where we practice. Yes, because it, it is every, every, all 50 states have their own bar membership and that's who needs to uh, draft your agreement. Yeah. Uh, anyway, fascinating stuff. Aaron Thomas from uh, prenups.com. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us here on Wealth Formula Podcast today. It's been an honor to be here. Thanks, Buck. We'll be right back. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. 
The wealth formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you never have to deal with such uh, issues as divorce, but they are, in fact, a reality in life. So if you are uh, on the precipice of getting married, make sure you consider this whole prenuptial thing. And if you are married, uh, postnup sounds like a pretty good idea to me. But do me a favor. Don't tell them. Don't tell whoever it is in your life that Buck Joffrey suggested that you do it. Because I don't want to be the bad guy. Right, okay, well, maybe you should tell them I am the one. Maybe I am. Throw me under the bus. I'll take it for you. I'll, take, I'll jump on the grenade for you. Anyway, that's it for me this week on a Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing out. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.